Hello again. Uh, it's good to spend some time in God's Word uh, again today. So why don't you turn to the book of James. The book of James is in the New Testament and we're starting a new series today uh, that we'll, we'll follow through over the next few weeks uh, and months. I'm going to read the first passage that we'll look at today. Grab your Bible. It's James chapter 1 and we'll look at the first four verses which say this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So like I say, we're going to head into uh, a new series. I know for many this is a new term. There's lots of new things that we'll be considering. And I want us to look at this and and to get the challenges and the encouragements that James brings to those that he's he's writing to. In a way, he's writing his own version, if you like, of a wake-up call. Uh, And so after the introduction in chapter 1, the book is filled with kind of short, sharp, punchy messages that drive a point across um, to kind of grab the attention of people who are living for Jesus, who used to be living in Jerusalem. Uh, we're told in the book of Acts near the beginning that uh, all the believers were together. For a while, all believers in Jesus were in Jerusalem. But God had a plan that would involve the gospel, the good news in Jesus, going to every uh, every nation, starting in Jerusalem, going to Judea, going to Samaria, and going to the ends of the earth. But for a while, uh, the believers stayed in Jerusalem. It's fascinating to see then how God got his people um, on the move. We can uh, read about this in the book of Acts and chapter 8, and just reading uh, there, uh, partway through verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Uh, But Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Then it says this, those who'd been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Must have been such Uh, a challenging time. Um, We know that Stephen has been martyred and that prompts an outbreak of persecution that's uh, described there. Um, But as people go and they settle in new places, they take the gospel with them. They take the good news of Jesus. So we can see great challenges. This passage talks about trials of many kinds. Well, here are people who must have faced trials of many kinds. You know, we know if it weren't stressful enough to move house, try doing that under threat of your life and going to a new nation, a new culture and learn a new language, perhaps. Now, I know some of you listening to this have done exactly that. You've experienced firsthand what many trials can involve, uh, very similar to those that James was writing to. In the positive They've gone and they've shared the gospel. They've preached Jesus as they have got themselves established in new communities. You can read on in Acts and you can see that 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 continues. Others go to Antioch and uh, right up into modern day Turkey and so on. So that that scattering of believers happens. 
What's fascinating, uh, if you go back into the Old Testament, scattering was often seen as something negative, as a real example of God's, uh, God's judgment. Let me just give you an example uh, from Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 8. Uh, this is Nehemiah's prayer to God. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. All of uh, that verse and others much like it must have really impressed upon um, uh, the thinking of God's people shortly after the death of Jesus that still to, to be gathered is to be blessed and to know the presence of God and to be scattered is to come under judgment and it's bad. But we see something wonderful here that the gospel of Jesus was being spread as that scattering happened. Uh, Jesus told a parable of uh, the sower saying a farmer went out and scattered seed. And if you know that story, you know how, how it unfolds as Jesus shared it that that seed was scattered absolutely everywhere. That's what God wants to do in the world, just scatter seed. You wonder God thinking, I've got all these believers, I've got all this seed in Jerusalem. How am I going to get that seed to the nations? And mysteriously, he uses the, the death of Stephen and persecution to, to get Christians uh, on the move. God can be powerfully at work even through many and various trials that are not joyful in themselves, but are doing something good. We've got words over us as a church, going back a few years now even, about gold coming out of the box, that God um, was tearing up the box, if you like, of city church life, that gold might come out. Um, in other words, we're not just to look to maintain a structure and a system and a way of doing things, we're to seek that the gold that God has given us is to be shared, uh, is to be spread, is to become uh, visible, but you know, human nature, we like our comfort, don't we? We like familiarity, we like predictable routines uh, and all the rest of it. But you know, like, a, like a nest needs to be broken up by a, a mother eagle uh, to get her chicks to fly. So sometimes God does things in the life of his church uh, to cause us to grow, to cause us to fly, to cause the good news to spread. Maybe at this point, as James is writing the letter, some years after that persecution has scattered people uh, into various new places, he's aware, re reports kind of come back, that suggest actually, you know, what counts as, as normal, zealous, passionate Christianity seeking to glorify Jesus has just got dulled down a bit. It used to be here, but it's kind of sunk. It used to be shiny, but it's got kind of tarnished. Um, and so he writes this. It is a bit of a wake-up call. It does have challenge to it. Uh, it. James wants to kind of get in our faces a little bit and really get us to think. So let's not be surprised if uh, sometimes we think, oh, I kind of want to recoil from some of the things that James might be saying. It's there for us, for our good. If we receive, if we uh, want to learn from the challenges, we're going to receive a lot of encouragement as well. And in the process, God's desire might just be to establish a new sense of normal. You know, if our version of normal Christianity is just dulled right down, God wants to enhance it. God wants to enrich it. Uh, God wants to, uh, to bring fresh 
faith to it. Let's let's pray for that. Let's uh, seek that over these next few weeks and months. Uh, before we wrap up today, I'd just like to consider a, a question and how this passage might help us. Uh, the question being this, okay, well, that's all well and good. God wants to establish a new normal. He's about a new work. He's doing something good. But how do we respond to trials in life? How do we respond to the, the many various kinds of trial? You see, James doesn't even really spell it out in great de- detail. He just assumes his readers know. Of course you know what it's like uh, to, to be on the run, to have to totally... Uh, relocate your life you you know what some of the pressures of life are takes it as read uh they just describing them as as varied and we'll know some of that uh, as well now and if we don't yet know it i'm sure we will in the near future so how do we respond how do we live in the light of many trials uh, that come our way just going to give you two answers from the text the first is this Consider it pure joy. That's what we're told to do. That's the instruction. Consider it. What is it? Consider all of life pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. So right away, we're looking at joy that is unusual. Christians know something about unusual joy. There are joys that we can all, if you like, relate to. We can all understand. We wake up and it's a beautiful uh, sunny morning or perhaps during the summer. You got the grades that your teacher predicted after all and you're just relieved. Um, the joy of new birth. You know, congratulations to Mark and Beth. You know, all sorts of uh, wonderful joys, normal joys in the sense that they don't kind of need... Uh, kind of decoding in some way. There's nothing mysterious about them. It's just, it's just normal. There are normal uh, joys. Well, here we have unusual joys. I wonder, even this week, you could consider this. You know, have a think. Go through the Bible yourself and find examples of unusual joy. Unusual joy in the New Testament, unusual joy uh, in the Old as well. Now, it can sound a bit crazy. Count it pure joy. Really, it, it sounds honestly like an example of pre- let's pretend. You know, let me say, I, I give you a bowl of lemons. And I say, well, pretend that they are strawberries. Count them. Count them out. No, I've got six lemons. But no, no, count them as strawberries. One strawberry, two strawberry, three strawberry. It would be nonsense. You take a bite. That's going to reveal to you that it's not a strawberry. It gets you right in the face. But we're not doing that. When you've got lemons, consider it pure joy, not because a lemon tastes amazing to bite by itself. It's really quite overpowering, to be honest. But you can make lemon muffins, you can make lemon meringue, you can make lemonade, you can do all sorts of things with it. Consider it pure joy, not because the experience of trials is in itself joyful, but that you see that God is doing something through it. But that you know that God will bring good through it. Here's how uh, James would put it, uh, not James, sorry, uh, Peter would put it similarly in 1 Peter uh, and chapter 1, uh, verse 6, reading on for a few verses there. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Sound familiar? These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise glory and honour when Jesus Christ is 
revealed. He goes on to speak about unusual joy, if you like. He talks about being filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. But note what he says there about trials and about faith and what he likens faith to. He says, it's like gold. Now, gold on the earth, if you refine it, it increases in its value. Um, even on the earth, gold can eventually deteriorate, perhaps. But your faith to God is even more valuable than that. If I gave you right now, now this is just actually a bag of rice. It's one kilogram of rice. But imagine this bag is uh, gold and I give it to you. Um, now, if it's fully refined, that would be around uh, £50,000 worth in just one kilogram. That's how precious gold is. But your faith before God is far more precious. Now, if I gave that gold to you and I said, well, it's still got a few impurities left in it. It'll be worth even more. You're not going to do something to to damage or destroy that gold, are you? If anything, you're going to seek ways that you can refine it to bring out the impurities so that it's even better. You see, God treasures your faith and he's not seeking to damage or destroy your trust in him. But what he is doing with all of us and with his church right across the world is to get the impurities out. And so how would you do that with gold? Well, you'd increase the temperature. You'd have to bring it up to melting point, which is around 1,000 degrees centigrade. Wow, that's hot. That's hotter than the surface of the planet Mercury. You've got to get the gold to that temperature, and then the impurities come to the surface, and they can be taken out. And you're left with refined, pure gold. That's what God is doing to our faith through trials. He's growing us. He's strengthening us. He's maturing us. If that sounds hard, um, I'm just aware this week, uh, Rachel and I have been chatting about this book a little bit. She's been reading uh, The Heavenly Man, which is about a guy called Brother Yun, uh, a Christian believer uh, in China who is instrumental in seeing lots of underground, unofficial churches planted, many people coming to faith. And yet he was persecuted. He was imprisoned for, for a long stretch of his life. And he experienced many trials. I won't go into those right now, but I want, to, I want us to hear what he had to say about the effect of them. Okay, he's in prison at this point. He writes this. Day and night, I meditated on the word of God, on all that is holy and edifying. I thought of the great men and women of the Bible who'd suffered for their faith. I considered how Jesus had willingly submitted himself to God's will and had endured the wrath of sinful men. I thought about Joseph and his experiences in Egypt, Daniel in the lion's den, and about Stephen as he was being stoned to death. I meditated on what Paul had written during his times of incarceration and of Peter's imprisonment and miraculous escape in the 12th chapter of Acts. Uh, they were like clouds of witnesses surrounding my thoughts. Their example cast away the fears and burdens from my heart. He, he goes on to say this through all of it. God purified my heart. I held no hatred or malice against those who had treated me so cruelly. I lived in close fellowship with the Lord. I realized that everything that had happened to me was the result of God's will alone. This enabled me to genuinely love the souls of those bad men who had attacked and tried to destroy me. 
I felt very meek and gentle. My spirit was full of joy and thanksgiving as I magnified the Lord. Do you know what? As God's people respond to many trials in this way that James is talking about, it's there's a refining of their faith. It's like an increased radiance or beauty is just evident in that person's life because they've worked with God. They've cooperated with with God it's not pretending that the suffering was pleasant or God glorifying in itself but they walk closer with Jesus there's a woman and she lost her husband early in life supporting and encouraging others in their marriages there is a man who has never been healed of significant and chronic illness but he's prayed for others and seen them healed there are beautiful mysteries in the body of Christ. There are things that God has done and it wouldn't be there unless God had led his people through trial, through suffering and refined and strengthened their faith. If our faith is never tested, it doesn't grow. It doesn't get strong. So let's consider it pure joy and let us allow uh, perseverance to finish its work. That's in effect what James says. It's another instruction. Let perseverance finish its work. Let perseverance complete or perfect what it's doing in your life. In other words, keep going in your faith that God is good. When we hit another trial, the temptation is to say, oh, God doesn't care. That's it. I'm, I'm done now. I'm moving on. I'm, I'm leaving my faith behind. But no, allow perseverance to continue to finish its work, to draw you to a destination. You're not stopping halfway. Keep going. Keep pressing on. He is about something good. He's purifying our faith like gold might be refined. And gold is not just pretty. It's incredibly useful. It's used in so many different ways. You know, it's in your mobile phone or your laptop. A, a dentist might use it on someone's uh, tooth. It's used for decorating all sorts of things. Um, it's incredibly durable. It doesn't rust. Not easily anyway. It's such an impressive material. That's how God wants your faith to be uh, wherever you are right now. You might be thinking, well, why has God scattered us? Or why has God scattered me? Or why am I hard pressed on every side? You know, sometimes we are just knocked sideways by something in life that we did not anticipate, we did not expect. And there might be a time when we're just crying out in anguish to God. This is not joyful, Lord. Persevere. Keep going in your faith. And if you're aware of someone else and they're really, really going through it, you know, sometimes I've observed this, that we can put on a nice tone of voice and we can commiserate. But sometimes in so doing, what we could be communicating is, why are you still trusting God? In other words, it might be a nice tone of voice, but we're just kind of voicing unbelief rather than encouraging that person. Persevere. Keep going. Yeah, are you going to do that? Are you going to help your friends to persevere in God? To believe him, to press on? Let's do that. The goal then, what God is doing, what he's bringing about, as we allow perseverance to finish its work, is that it might make us, it makes us mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's God's agenda. That's God's plan. He's making us more like Jesus. He's making us 
uh, is making us mature. It's ironic almost, or it's, it's, it's a, a wonder, really. We might go through life, all sorts of trials hit us, and we might think, well, yeah, I, 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 I lack money, uh, I lack brilliant health, I, I lack friendship, I lack security, I, I lack all sorts of things. But as we persevere with God in faith, we can come to a point, not of just empty resignation, but of saying, I don't lack anything. You've led me beside quiet waters. You've given me so much. That's where God wants to, to lead us. It's a total revolution in our minds. That's what I think God wants to do. He wants to establish a new normal. What does it mean to be a believer? Don't stop halfway. Keep going. Press on in faith. God will enable us to find joy along the way.